You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. What we're going to be looking at today is five details that you may or may not know about the birth account. And I would ask you, if you would please open up to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at the first seven verses for now. We're going to get through um, verses 8 through 14 here in just a little bit. But we're going to be looking at five details that you may or may not know about the birth account. There is a lot. And and I, I credit Luke, who wrote this gospel, he was a historian. He was a journalist. He was divinely appointed to write this particular account of the Lord's life and ministry. He packs so much detail into his gospel that when you start to kind of slow down, you're like, oh, wow, this is going a whole lot deeper than what it seems like on the surface. So the the first point that I want to make is what is known as the fullness of time. So I don't have a slide for this, but let me read you Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to look at verses 3 through 5. And you don't have to turn there, but I encourage you to to go look at this later. So Paul says this in Galatians 4 verse 3. says, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Watch verse 4. I want you to listen to this. But when the fullness of time had come... God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, if we're reading through Galatians chapter 4, that may just be something that it's like, okay, yeah, and we just kind of quickly gloss over. But I want to pause, kind of slow down, and look at what this means, the fullness of time. So God said, at this particular time in human history, I am going to bring forth the Savior. So when we look at this, we we need to understand that this was a divinely appointed time. It wasn't happenstance. Or as Tom said in his message, and Eric echoed it, this was not a random time. This was a divinely appointed time that God said, at this point in human history, I am going to bring forth my son. So when we look at at what was going on at the time, for our history lovers, here we go. At this particular time, you have the land of Israel that was occupied by Rome. So what does it mean to occupy something? Did they come in and conquer and take over? No, they didn't. They came in as essentially a brute force and said, you're not going to mess with us, but what we're going to do is we're going to call this land our own, even though we're not kicking everybody out. They are going to take over that land, and they are going to allow the Jews to continue to operate as usual. But during this time, this divinely appointed time, what had happened amongst the people? Let's look at a couple of things. Number one, religion had become corrupt absolutely corrupt. Jesus continues to battle this throughout his entire ministry. 
you had the religious Jews, the, the Pharisees, they were religious on the outside, inwardly, nothing. They were dead inside. In fact, Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs, meaning you look pretty on the outside, but inwardly you have nothing. You look the part, you walk the walk, but do you talk the talk? The answer was no. So religion had become corrupt, but there was a spiritual hunger in the time of this, this divinely appointed time. Next week, Eric is going to be talking about the mission and the ministry of John the Baptist. You can see there is a spiritual hunger amongst the people during this time. They are looking for something, and the Lord delivers it. So also during this time, when Rome came and occupied Israel, or the region of Palestine, what they did was they brought their technology. They brought their smarts. Have you guys ever heard of the Roman roads? It's a tool to, to win people to the Lord, but it's also physical roads, which still exist to this day. They brought, they were engineering marvels, these things that they brought, aqueducts and, and all of this kind of stuff. But what they did was they allowed essentially highways to be built to where commerce and, you know, Trailer, not trailers, they didn't have those back then. What did they have? Horses, carts, buggies, that sort of thing, could go at a much quicker pace to where they're not having to traverse over hills and you know all of that kind of stuff. They can just jump on this highway and be to their destination in no time. So the reason this is important to us, to this particular time, is if I'm someone at the time, part of the early church, a follower of Christ, and I wanted to get that message of the gospel out. I could just jump on that highway, take it to Ephesus. I could take it to anywhere in the known world at the time in a fraction of the time it used to be. So when we look at the fullness of time, it's a divinely appointed time, but there were things put in place that the Lord said, okay, I'm going to use this time to get my message out to the people. There was also a time, this period of time in our history books is known as Pax Romana. Basically what that means is the peace of Rome. Has anybody ever watched the movie Gladiator? Guys, guys love this movie. Who owns it on Blu-ray? I do. Who likes to watch it a lot? I do. Yeah. So you see during this time, this fictional movie Gladiator, that there was this time of, of peace and prosperity for the Roman Empire. So what that means is they did not have any major wars going on or really any major enemies. So what they did was they expanded. They said, okay, our, our empire is doing really well. Let's go ahead and expand that. Let's annex all these different places. One of those included Israel. They occupied the territory, but what they did was they kept the peace. Now, you may be thinking, okay, this is all great history class. What does this mean to me? I'm glad that you asked. So let's look at Luke chapter 2, starting in verse number 1. It says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. 
there's a lot in that one verse, and I'm just going to quickly go over this. You guys have heard of Julius Caesar, the famous Roman uh, emperor. He was so popular, they named a pizza chain after him, Little Caesars. They named a salad after him. I mean, this guy was, he was big time, right? This is the one that Shakespeare wrote about, Julius Caesar. This is the very famous emperor. Not in verse 1. He had a grand nephew by the name of Gaius Octavius. So Gaius Octavius, when Julius Caesar was, uh, to put it mildly, betrayed, stabbed in the back by his friends, when, once that happened, Gaius Octavius takes over. So from 29 B.C. to 14 A.D., this particular person, Gaius Octavius, ruled the Roman Empire, including in Israel. But what he did was, he said, Gaius Octavius just doesn't have that, that ring to it, that, that uh, what do you call it, that grandeur. It didn't quite have that, so he changed his name to, let's look at verse 1 again, Caesar Augustus. So, Something that we need to understand, Caesar was not the guy's first name or last name. Caesar was a title, much like president or CEO or governor. Caesar was a title. He changed his name to Augustus, which, funny enough, means exalted one. Little did he know, the Lord knew, mm, you think you're exalted? Hang on. So, Caesar Augustus, he is the one who is at the throne in Rome. He is the one calling the shots. So, verse number one, Now it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. Now, the, the thing that I love about Luke's gospel, and we talked about this before, he records so much history, so many things to where the educated people living in Greece at the time, the educated uh, people could look at this record, this Gospel of Luke, and say, okay, I know exactly when that was. I've heard of Caesar Augustus. I remember when he was the emperor. This is not just for Christians, for us to look at, but it is for the rest of the world as well. So, And this is seen in verse number 2. It says, this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So they all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. So what would happen is every 14 years, Rome would do a census. What they would do, instead of them going door to door like what we do in America in every 10 years, 2020, then 2010, 2000, that's where we get our census information. They send you something in the mail. If you don't return it by mail, then they send someone out to your house, knock on your door, how many people are living here, that sort of thing. So what they would do was every 14 years, they would register all the people. So this is the Roman Empire. Rome would do this. So what they did was they occupied Israel, said, okay, in six months, we're going to be doing a census. So Rather than them do the, the legwork, they said, everyone 
you need to go to your hometown, the country of your tribal origin. Remember, these are Jews. So what they would do is they would ask everyone on the father's side of the family to go to their hometown where their lineage was. The reason they would do this is the Roman Empire wanted to know, okay, who's paying taxes, more importantly enough, who's not paying taxes, let's find them, let's tax them. Good thing the IRS took that to heart, right? Yeah, so that's what they would do, and they would do this for populations. They want to know where people are, where they could send their enemies, their armies, not their enemies, their armies. Where do we need to send our resources? But also, like we said, for tax reasons. So who was Joseph's father? I just gave it away. Who was Jesus's father? The Holy Spirit. Yeah. He cheated. So you have Mary, the mother, She was betrothed to a man named Joseph. Joseph was going to be the earthly father of Jesus. So what they did, because it falls on his side of the family, they said, okay, we need to go to my hometown so that we can be registered for this Roman census. So David, not David, Joseph comes from the lineage of David, Where was David's hometown? Bethlehem. So what they did was they had to go, if you look at it physically on a map, it's a 90-mile trip from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. 90 miles over open country with a very, very pregnant wife, betrothed wife. So that's kind of the setup to what's going to be happening. So if you are taking notes or if you're following along on the, the version app, our first point, again, five details you may not know about the birth account. Number one is the fullness of time. Number two is there was a census taking place. Number three, the Old Testament prophecies surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, there are hundreds of prophecies about the coming Messiah about the coming Redeemer. There's a bunch of them, but I want to look at five different ones just surrounding the birth account because that's what we're talking about today. Number one, according to Numbers 24, he would be born a Jew. According to Genesis 49, he would be from the tribe of Judah. According to 2 Samuel 7, he would be from David's lineage. These next two, I don't know how anyone can dispute this. According to Isaiah chapter 7, he would be born a virgin, of a virgin. And lastly, according to Micah chapter 5, he would be born in Bethlehem. With Orthodox Jews today, Orthodox Jews, meaning they do not believe in the Messiah, that that Jesus was the Messiah. Let me clarify. They don't believe that. They are still waiting for the Redeemer, the Messiah, to come to this day. They're looking for someone to fulfill all of these Old Testament prophecies. Someone to be born a Jew of the tribe of Judah, of David's lineage, to be born of a virgin, and to be born in Bethlehem. They're still waiting for that Messiah today. 
But for us as New Covenant believers, we understand and we wholeheartedly trust and have faith that Jesus fulfilled every single one of these Old Testament prophecies. So point number four is let's take a look at the birth account. So let me look. I want to read verses four down through seven of Luke two. So Luke two, starting in verse number four. It says, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the end. Now, when I was being raised, I always thought that the reason that she gave birth in a manger was because they were kind of poor and destitute and no one wanted to take them in, you know, kind of woe is me type of thing. But when you look at it from a historical standpoint, why was there no room for them at the end? Does anyone here a procrastinator? You can wait to put your hands up if you want. Okay. I'm glad some of you guys got that. Who likes to pay money to the government? No. Getting money? Okay, yeah. So, people by nature, when it comes to things of the government, it's not anything new and this is not political, but just to show you that if they were going to do the census, are you going to be the first in line? Some of you may, but a lot of people wait until the very last minute. I know that's a shock for all of our last-minute Christmas shoppers right here. That's number one right here. Uh, Sorry, Whitney. Um, But when it comes to things like that, people procrastinate. So at the very end, it's like, okay, I need to get this in. Was it April 15th used to be tax day. That's when everyone comes, long lines at the post office, that sort of thing. Same thing was happening with the census. No one went right away, that they had to go at the very last minute. So what does that mean? Every Holiday Inn, every Ramada, every you know Hilton Hotel at the time was full. So everybody converged on this city of David, Bethlehem. And so every room was booked up. That's why she had to give birth. It says that there was no room for them at the end. Now, when we look at verse number six, I want to look at verse six again. It says, so it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them at the inn. So swaddling cloths, are they were used a lot back then, not so much nowadays, although some people still use them. It's for a newborn child that they would wrap. And what it would do is it would strengthen their back, it would strengthen their limbs, as well as protect them. So that's what a traditional Jewish swaddling cloth would do. So that's what they did. And it said they wrapped him 
uh, in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. That word manger is translated as a stall, such as for animal feed or kind of an enclosure for animals. So that's what they did was they put him in the manger. But what's interesting is many scholars believe that it wasn't like a typical barnyard type of scene that we would see today, that it actually took place underground. That's where they would keep some of the animals and keep them protected from the elements. Even to this day, you can actually go, and I've been there, to what is known as the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. And what you do is they have this massive, massive church on top of where this particular spot supposedly took place. But you have to go down these set of steps, down to what is known as a grotto, and there's a little bitty hole, and that's where supposedly uh, this all took place. So that's at the Church of the Nativity, which you can see to this very day. Now, the last point that I want to make is about the shepherd. So I want to read verses 8 down through 14. So Luke chapter 2, starting in verse number 8. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I will bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people. For there is born to you on this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel, to, the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on, e on earth peace, goodwill, towards men. And so we're going to stop right there for today. What this is talking about is exactly what you're reading. You have these shepherds watching their flocks by night. So they didn't have street lamps out there, street lights on those super highways that the Romans built. They had moonlight, they had stars, you know, to help illuminate it, as well as little campfires and things like that. The fact is, and I want you to think about this, the Lord announced that His Messiah was coming. Let's follow what we've learned so far. Looking back at Luke chapter 1, the angel came and spoke to Zacharias, and said, you're going to give birth to John the Baptist. The angel showed up to Mary and said, you are going to give birth to the Messiah. You need to call his name Jesus. So there you have two angels announcing to these people, the really key players in this entire account. John the Baptist, who is going to pave the way for the Messiah, then the Messiah himself. But also what happens is the Lord announces his Messiah's birth not to the religious elites, 
not to royalty. He doesn't announce it to Rome who occupies them. He doesn't reveal it to Caesar Augustus or Quirinius, who was the governor of Syria at the time, that region. What does he do? He announces that his Messiah has arrived to the lowest people on the totem pole. See, shepherds at the time were dirty. I mean, physically dirty. They're out there in the fields. They got nasty on their feet. They, you know, stink, all of that kind of stuff. Working with animals. That's who they were. So the Jewish culture says, you know what? You guys are unclean. Not just physically, but ceremonially. According to Jewish law, you are unclean people. So what do you need to do? You need to stay out. Stay away from us. You're dirty. We're clean. But what does the Lord do? Comes over here and says, guess what? The Messiah is here. He goes to these outcasts and says, I want you guys to go in. Here's what I'm telling you. This is true. Go and see for yourselves. So I want to uh, quickly go back and look at verse number 9. It says, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, the glory of the Lord shone around them. In this dark pasture, this dark field, suddenly this heavenly glow shows up. Is this Gabriel? It doesn't say. But Gabriel was there in chapter 1 to announce to Zacharias as well as Mary. Then the angel said, do not be afraid. But watch their reaction. When this light shines, this heavenly glory shows up, they were afraid. So when we talk about Luke recording those little details, those feelings, that's why we connect so much to this account, is it's like, I would be afraid if a giant spotlight-type light shone on me. I would, whoa. That's what they did. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring good tidings of great joy, which will be to just the Jews, right? No. Will be to who? A-L-L. All people. What does that mean? You dirty, filthy shepherds. The Lord has come for you to save you. You royalty in Jerusalem, He came for you. Caesar Augustus, all the way over there in Rome, He came for you. He came for all people. It says, For there is born to you on this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Can you imagine that sight? Just close your eyes and try to imagine that dark field, suddenly this light shining, this angel telling you, do not be afraid, I'm bringing you good news. I said, here's going to be the proof. You're going to find him wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And then all of a sudden, there was this massive, this it says a heavenly host, that is referring to multitudes, thousands and thousands of angels, presumably with the same type of glory, all singing in perfect harmony praises to the Lord. Would that not be a sight to see? That's what they did. So I want to get back to the the final point about the shepherds, that God came and announced to the shepherds, now this is my opinion, this speaks to the Lord's grace. Because He could have come just to the elite, the religious, the spiritual elite. He could have done that. But what did He do? He came to the lowest people, the outcasts, and said, guess what? There is good news. The Messiah is born. And I want to read you this. I don't have it up on the screen, but it is in the Version app. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 29. To that point about God's grace being just not for the elite, but for everyone. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. It says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Watch this. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen in the things which are not, to bring nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So what is that talking about? Exactly that point. That God didn't come just for certain people or certain types or certain groups of people. He came for all people. But what he did was he said, I see this shepherd on the same spiritual plane as Caesar Augustus. So what does that mean? Each of them are in need of saving. They need a Savior. Doesn't matter how much money they have, doesn't matter what they look like, anything like that. They both need a Savior. And so God brought forth His Son to be born of a virgin to ultimately go to the cross and be crucified, bear the sins of all mankind from that shepherd all the way up to a palace in Rome. Jesus did that for them, but he also did that for us, for each and every one of us. 
So when we celebrate this time of year, when we look at the birth account, there's a lot of history associated with it, but none of that should ever overshadow the purpose, the why behind his coming to this earth. And that speaks to his grace, his love, his burning love for each and every one of us. And it speaks to his mercy that we disqualified ourselves because of the sin nature that is in us. We disqualified ourselves, yet he deemed us worthy. He said, I love you enough to save you. I want you with me. That's why this Christmas story is so important, because it speaks to his grace and his mercy. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word that helps remind us of your grace and your mercy. It also reminds us of the undying love that you have for us. And so, Father, during this time, we celebrate the birth of our Savior, but we're also reminded of why he came to save. And so, Lord, I just say thank you for all of the people who are watching in person as well as online. Father, that we always have that at the forefront of our minds, that we continue to extend your grace and your love and your mercy to everyone that we come in contact with. Father, we are instruments that we want you to use to further your kingdom. And so, Lord, I just ask that you give us the strength to step out of our comfort zone, especially during this, this Christmas season. Father, that we share the message of Jesus Christ. We don't show people that we are perfect and you can be perfect too. No, there was one perfect person and that was Jesus Christ. We have simply placed our saving faith in him. We are saved and we are redeemed, not because of what we've done, but because of what he has done. And so Lord, we want to share that with everyone that we come in contact with. And Lord, we just ask that you strengthen us, allow us to do that while giving you the praise and the glory because you are worthy of it. Lord, again, we just say thank you and it is in Jesus' name that we pray and ask this. And amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.